Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. This morning in Acts chapter number 25, let's read at verse number one. Now, when Festus was come into the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him, and desired favor against him, that he would send for him Paul to Jerusalem, laying wait in the way to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me, Everything's down from Jerusalem because it's on a hill. Uh, It's on a mount. So let them go down with me and accuse this man if there be any wickedness in him. And when he had tarried among them uh, more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about him and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem, and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender, or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. In other words, then I'm guilty, let me, let me be put to death. But if there be any or be none of those things whereof they, um, these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Let's say that together. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. Father, would you guide us today? I thank you for the fact that we can call you our Father. You said in the book of Romans, Lord, that we can call you Abba, Father. You are as close as a daddy. And we thank you for that relationship. Now as our Father, Lord, I pray that you would guide us into all truth by your Holy Spirit and that you would teach us lessons from this this chapter, from this experience that Paul had, that you wrote down for us by, by the inspiration. You used men to write this down so that we might know it, but you inspired it. You, you have put your stamp of approval upon this. Lord, you want us to know it. You want us to hear it and to live by it. 
So I pray that you would guide us through this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's be seated. Are you ready to get into it? All right, so nine more, nine more messages to go, and uh, I think we'll be at the end, and it's going to be a wonderful journey. Now, most of this is going to all deal with the Apostle Paul as he goes from the area of Jerusalem, Judea, up to Rome for his, fi- his final sentencing before this man Nero. But I need to back up and catch us all up to speed. Why, are, why is Paul standing in court? Did he do something really, really bad? Uh, why is he here in front of this man named Festus? Okay, did you catch this man? Festus is kind of an important key player in today's, in today's message. Well, if we back up about two years and a couple weeks, we find that, that Paul had just finished the third missionary journey. Uh, he had come back to Jerusalem after traveling throughout that, throughout that area, and you see here on the timeline uh, from Pentecost to the end of Paul's third missionary journey, somewhere around 20 years, which is an amazing thing that there's, there's growth exploding all across the then known world. And so we have this, this time frame that, that Paul's been operating in. Guys, would you give us the, the map of, the, of, of where Paul has been and show us these different churches? And so Paul has gone all the way around the then known world and he has been planting some on uh, 20 plus churches, traveled over 10,000 miles, not with a car, not with a motorbike, with animals, and on foot, and boats. And he has traveled, and many churches have been planted, so he's coming home from his third missionary, his third missionary journey to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate a, a feast there, but he's coming along from Macedonia, he's bringing along with him an offering an offering from the churches of Macedonia like Corinth that was, uh, that, that where we get this whole idea of giving cheerfully and, and giving on the first day of the week. And all, all, they had collected an offering along with the other churches of Macedonia. The Macedonia is up at the top there. And so they had put together this offering. And Paul was so delighted to be able to bring this back. He had some people accompanying him. Why? Because it was going to show that there was unity in the body of Christ between the Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentile believers were sending back a love offering, a care offering to the needy Uh, believers in Jerusalem who were going without because of Christian persecution. So they they were being boycotted, their shops, you know, the uh, Mr. Mr. Ben's selling furniture on the corner because he's converted and and following Jesus, no one's going to his shop anymore. No one's buying, uh, you know, the rest of the Jewish populace isn't buying from him anymore and his family's going without. So these believers have sent this love offering and Paul was so excited because there's always been a little bit of that Racial tension. We think that racial tension is kind of a new thing today. No. Uh, racial tension comes from the sin in men's heart. God's created us equal. We all have the same blood flowing through our, our veins. We're all created in the image of God. Amen? Amen? And so Christianity, biblical Christianity, unites all that together. You won't find this whole, the, you won't find God being honored, delighted, condoning any sort of racism. And another amen is, is warranted there, right? Like, listen, we, 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 we soak in this, and we think these are new issues that we're facing today. We're not. So they were there. Paul, as a leader, is trying to say, hey, listen, we love you. Uh, you're Jew. They're Gentiles. We love you, and in Christ, we're all together. Okay, and so he's bringing down this. So he thinks, as he comes into, into Jerusalem, boy, they're going to just welcome him with open arms. Only problem is a lot of gossip had been going on because there were some 
there were some businessmen and different uh, Jewish individuals that were up there, and I'm only referencing them as, as Jewish because that's, that's their nationality. So I'm not painting them all in, in that light. I'm just saying they, they were hostile towards Christ. The central issue was their hostility towards Christ. So they, there were some Jews up in the Asia area that had been stirring things up and sending word back to Jerusalem. Listen, this guy Paul's up there subverting the Jews. They're saying, you know, telling them to follow after Jesus, and they're subverting the Jews, and so all this gospel was going on. So by time Paul gets back unto Jerusalem, even some of the believers have been tainted by some of the gossip that had been happening up there. So he comes back, and there's some that welcome with open arms, but the next day, Pastor James and some of the church leaders get Paul together, and they're like, hey, Paul, your presence is going to really mess up some things here. And you think, like, hold on, we've been out there publishing the gospel. It's a really great thing. Why are you, why are you, allowing, uh, you, know, why are you allowing all this tension that's going on uh, to come in between us? And so Pastor James just simply asked Paul, Paul, would you do this for us? Would you, there's a couple of guys that are going to take a Nazarite vow. They're finishing up their Nazarite vow. It's just a, a vow of devotion to, to God. And they're going to finish this up, and they're going to go pay their dues at the temple and it is customary that someone would underwrite those, those dues, those, those fees. Would you go up to the temple with these guys, and would you finalize this with them, and would you just show that you're, you're not against, you're not against uh, Jews and, and some of their customs, you're not against uh, uh, some of these things, and you, you're loving them, and so would you go up and just, would you fin- uh, finish this up? Now, taking that Nazarite vow wasn't against, uh, against Scripture. It really was in its, in its essence, it was something that was, was a, 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 a vow of total devotion to God. And, and it, there, was some, there was some visible, sometimes they wouldn't cut their hair for the length of that vow. Get, they would get shaven after that. They would get a haircut after that. But, so Paul was going to go up and underwrite this. And really, uh, what we see here is Paul's ability as the great apostle Paul to show deference and to give grace in a moment like that, when he's being asked to do something that wasn't clear-cut in Scripture, wasn't against Scripture, but it wasn't clear-cut in Scripture just to show good grace and, and good relationship. So Paul goes through with it. He's going to do this. So he goes up to the temple, and he's going he's to pay for this Nazarite vow. Only problem is that there's some of these, these individuals that have been rabble-rousing up on, at the temple, and they're spotting Paul. They see Paul in town, and they're spotting Paul. And they, they start trickling around in the crowd, what was going to be a good thing, Paul showing good grace in the body of Christ, showing deference to the leadership of Pastor James there in, in, in Jerusalem, what was a good thing quickly blew up. I mean, really quickly blew up. A riot erupts because some, some of the, 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 those enemies of the gospel, enemies of Paul, started circulating around that Paul had brought a Gentile into the temple and thereby defiled the temple. And so you see here, you have uh, the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could be out there in the temple, but inside that gate beautiful, if some Gentile were to go in there, their death would be on their hands. I do not have the sign for you today, but outside of that, that gate, there was posted a sign. Basically, you enter here as a Gentile, you're dead and your blood's on you. So circulating there in Jerusalem and on the temple mount, People are saying, Jews are saying, hey, Paul brought a Gentile in, his name was Trophimus, brought a Gentile into the temple, and it, it, World War III, it wasn't World War III, I guess, at that point, uh, just a war, a riot broke out uh, 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 on the Temple Mount. So much so, and I want you to notice this, this fortress Antonio. 
This Fortress Antonio was an outpost that the Roman government had put there. They're being dominated. They're being occupied by Rome. Had put there to keep peace on the Temple Mount because relationships were always kind of in jeopardy. I mean, the, the, the tensions there in the city, they were, they were prone to riots and, uh, and, and flare-ups. And so Rome had put an outpost there to oversee. You see how they, they can literally oversee the Temple Mount. And Claudius Lysias, the chief of, of, that, of that fortress, hears about this going on, and he sends a brigade of soldiers down there to, to break up this, this riot. And he rescues Paul out of, uh, out of that situation, literally saves his life. So he brings him out, and you see the, the yellow there. He brings him out of the Temple Mount and, and onto the stairs of the Fortress Antonio. And there in the Fortress Antonio, right before he goes in the doors, Paul says, listen, can I speak to them? And, and Paul, uh, Claudius is totally, he's like, I don't know what's going on here. There's just a riot here, and I want it to stop. That's all the Roman governors and the and soldiers were worried about. I just want there to be peace because we want to be in good favor with Nero, our Caesar. And so he, he didn't, wasn't even aware that he spoke their language, but all of a sudden he's, he's, he's speaking their language, and he begins to speak to them about who he is, what Paul, uh, you know, uh, what Paul is all about, and so Paul is addressing this riotous crowd that was giving him comp- uh, attention until, until the moment that he says, listen, God has sent me to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And then another riot breaks out. And so Claudius Lysias is like, what in the world is going on? This is such a volatile situation. Rescues him inside and commands his soldiers to beat Paul, to examine Paul as the word, to beat him, to get a word out of him. What in the world is going on? What have you done, Paul, to cause all this rioting going on in our city? So he goes inside. He's about ready to be beaten. And uh, Paul uh, says to the, the, the soldier that's about ready to, to flog him, to beat him. It wasn't like a nice little tap on the back. This was, this was meant to get information to cause physical pain. And he says, uh, do, you know it's, um, do, you often, do you often beat a Roman citizen? And so word gets back up to Claudius uh, Lysias, hey, uh, do you realize that Paul is a Roman, a Roman uh, citizen? And and Claudius comes to him and says, listen, with a great price, I've bought, I've bought my citizenship. I've, I've, I've become a Roman with a great price, with a great sum of money. And Paul says, I was freeborn. I was freeborn. Paul gives us a wonderful illustration of using his freedom as a Roman citizen. Though he was a Jew, he was born, uh, he was born as a Roman. Uh, he gives us a great illustration of using the freedom to advance the gospel. He didn't shy away from it at that point. He used what was rightfully his in that moment to say, uh, I'm, I'm freeborn, and he had been using that all along. That's how Paul had been getting in and out of many different places to advance the gospel. So this is going on. So he doesn't get beat, and that night, the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the group of, of 70 religious leaders in uh, Jerusalem, uh, led by the high priest, sent message to Claudius Lysias, bring him back down, and let's, let's examine them again. We'll be quiet this time. We'll, we'll, we'll play nice this time. We'll actually give a hearing. We're not going to break out in a riot. Well, he, uh, he, he, they, they say they want to uh, see him again. Only thing is, Paul's nephew, this just happened this way. Paul's nephew overheard that the real plan in bringing Paul back down to the Sanhedrin, guys, if you can give, uh, give us a picture of the Sanhedrin, uh, is is that they were going to ambush the soldiers and Paul and kill Paul. And so Paul's nephew heard this, and he runs to the fortress Antonio, 
and says, I need to speak to the, I need to speak to Claudius Lysias. And Claudius Lysias very gently brings him aside and listen, what is it, you know, what is it, son, that you have? And tells him. So you know what Claudius Lysias' response. Here, here, all Paul is, he's not a, he's not a, a political rabble rouser. All he is is a preacher of the gospel, friends. That's all he is. A saved sinner preaching the gospel to other sinners and helping them to find Jesus Christ. That's all he is. And there's a whole lot of to-do around him. So what Claudius Lysias does is says, you know what? We're going to send them up to Caesarea. And that night, they get 480 soldiers together, Roman soldiers in armor. Some are horsemen. Some are spearmen. Get them all together and they send him up to, um, uh, to Caesarea. On the way, they made a stop uh, at another fortress uh, about midway, but they sent them all the way up to Caesarea. If you can give me that, uh, the map uh, uh, going to Caesarea so we can get all this in picture, and that way we can get into our message today and understand where all this is. So he's going up to, you see Caesarea is north of Jerusalem, even though that you go down from Caesarea. You go nor, uh, north to Caesarea. About midway, there was another stop. They stopped there, shed some of the soldiers, and went all the way on uh, uh, up to Caesarea. Caesarea was kind of a, uh, was the, the location of Herod the Great's temple. He built it right against the sea, uh, on the sea. Beautiful, beautiful palace overlooking the sea. There's still columns there uh, to this day that you can, uh, you can go uh, see the ruins of, of um, Caesarea. But Herod the Great's temple is there. But this is where Paul was going to be judged, or he was going to be brought before the judgment seat. So chapter 24, he's standing there in Caesarea before this guy named Felix. Felix was a governor over that area, put there by Nero or by a, uh, by a Caesar to keep peace in that area, to bring justice and, and, and rule the law there. So he's there, and Felix is, is kind of one of those, those guys, like, you, you, almost, you, you almost persuade me, I, I, I'm intrigued, I, I'll give you a, a hearing. Um, he's kind of one of those guys that, that's interested in what Paul has to say, but very, very interested in pleasing the Jews. So he hears Paul out and basically says, um, chapter 24 ends with, uh, because he wanted to please the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So between chapter 24 and chapter 25 that we just started reading is actually two years of time. Paul is sitting in prison. Paul is hanging out there. No movement forward on this case. He is, he is there as a preacher of the gospel. And, and his case isn't moving anywhere. Interesting, Felix was quite a, quite a guy. He was very immoral, um, just, a, just quite an unscrupulous guy. He wasn't a nice guy. And he didn't do a really great job at being a governor either. And so he is recalled back to Rome. You're not doing a, his performance review came up. He's recalled back to Rome. And so, sent down by, by Nero is this man named Festus. So, that brings us up to speed. Paul's in prison. Have that picture. We're here. It's all the same issue. Chapter 20, 21, 22, 23. It's all kind of the same issue. The, the Jews are very, very mad at, at, uh, at Paul for for what they say, defiling the temple, for being a preacher of the gospel. They're very, very upset. And Paul's sitting there just waiting for uh, some advancement. And now we have Festus on the scene. Now, here's what I want to ask you as we get into this today. Can you imagine being in Paul's situation? You've been promised by God you're going to go, you're going to preach the gospel in Rome. 
uh, you've been promised by God. He's going he's to protect you. He's going to carry you along. He'll make the way uh, that you're going you're gonna to witness of, of in, in Rome. And yet now you are sitting in prison because of the delinquency of one of the, the Roman officials. You're just kind of sitting out there waiting for something to move forward. There's no movement on the case. You're there uh, at Caesarea. And there's no movement forward. What's interesting to me about this is what we see today in Paul's life is, is a resolve, a, an inward determination. I'm going to continue to be faithful to the Lord. No matter what I face, no matter what the stall is, no matter, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to continue to be faithful to the Lord. And so we have this, this title today, A Resolved Messenger. A man that just continued to, to remain faithful to the Lord, trust in the Lord, and remain faithful even inside of a prison cell for those years. What does it take to cause you to quit? What does it take to cause you to, to say, well, this following Jesus thing isn't worth it? What does it take for you to become despondent in your heart and say, you know what? I'm just going to take the easy road. I'm just going to blend in. You know what? I should, just, I should call them and just say, hey, I won't say any more about Jesus as, as long as you let me go free. What does it take for you to remain faithful to the Lord and remain resolved? And Paul certainly did. Now, there's something else I want us to just uh, have in our minds. The enemies of Christ will. The enemies of Christ will do everything they possibly can to hinder and stop the advance of the message of the gospel as well as the messenger of the gospel. They hate them both. If you align yourself with the gospel, you will find that the world will hate you. There will be those that will receive the message of the gospel and will come alongside of you and begin declaring the message of the gospel and join in this great band of Jesus followers trying to, to proclaim to a lost and dying world, Jesus saves. You can be happy only through him. But the enemies of the gospel will do everything they possibly can. And two years didn't stop their hatred. It didn't, it didn't, didn't satisfy them. Oh, Paul's in prison, no big deal. No, we find that they're still full of anger, full of hatred towards him. And Paul demonstrates this, this resolve. Even in this moment, in this time of trial, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to keep standing for Jesus. I'm not going to recant his name. I'm going to go forward for him, and we should do the same. Let's notice in verses 1 through 5. If you have your bulletin, there's a guide in there that might be a help to you. Verses 1 through 5. Notice lobbying a new governor. Every once in a while, I get to go up to the, the state house here in Ohio, and uh, sometimes I've been asked, are you here lobbying? What are you lobbying for, all right? Uh, no, I'm not here lobbying. Uh, I'm, I'm just introducing or you know, connecting with some of our, our legislators or our, you know, our representatives and so on. But lobbying is a big deal. It's trying to get your way, get a, a politician or a government official to see your way. And so we have in this day, uh, these, this group of Jews that came to Festus, this new governor, to lobby him against the apostle Paul. Notice in verse number one, a diplomatic visit. Uh, right after Festus, just three days after Festus was put in charge and in the province, in the area, he makes a trip to Jerusalem. His number one goal was to have good relationships up in Jerusalem. Why? Because he wanted to keep peace. He wanted to be on Nero's good list. 
He wanted to make sure that Nero was happy with him and got a good performance review. So he's going to go up there, and it was going to be very important for him to meet with, with the Jewish individuals, the Jewish leaders. And so he goes up to uh, Jerusalem just to make a, a visit. Felix hadn't done so well. He had been removed uh, two years after the hearing, um, Paul's hearing. But now Festus is going up, according to the history of Josephus, Festus is going up just, uh, just those days after uh, to make a good impression. So there's a diplomatic visit that is going on. And these, these Jewish individuals, and I, I really want to hasten to say they were simply uh, 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 those that rejected Jesus Christ, and, and it doesn't there are Jews and Gentiles that reject Jesus Christ, but in this case, these rejectors of Jesus Christ nationally were, were Jewish individuals, and they, they saw this as an opportunity. They saw this as a, a, a situation where they could uh, get Festus to do their will. Look at verse number three, and then the high priest and chief of the Jews informed, notice that word informed, him against Paul. And so during this diplomatic visit, there's this, this, this delegation of the Sanhedrin along with the high priest that go up to Festus to say, listen, we have a case that's left over from Felix. He didn't do so well. Left over from Felix, you need, to, you need to take up. You need to take this case and bring it all the way through. Now the high priest, um, likely according again to Josephus, uh, just a historian, Jewish historian of that time, was Ishmael, the son of Fabi. Um, it used to be, and you probably recognize this name, Ananias, but here's this, this high priest. He's saying, listen, you got to do something about this apostle Paul. you got to do something with him. And so they informed him. The word inform is the idea to impute or to indict. To indict. They're coming up with an indictment against the apostle Paul. They're formally accusing Paul of a crime against authority. And so they're coming to him saying, you've got to do this. And they didn't just do it uh, just a little bit. They besought him, the, the Bible word is. They implored him. They urged him. They did not command him, which is very interesting. They used diplomacy themselves because they didn't want to get in a power struggle. They urged him. They asked him, listen, this is left over. You've got to take care of this situation. What I want us to catch a hold of is the reality that behind the scenes, against God's people in the advance of the gospel, Satan is working. And he uses sinister requests. He uses some, sometimes people using diplomacy, angling to try to get their, uh, their way to stop the advance of the gospel. They're asking for a favor. Asking for a favor. You owe us something. Uh, Felix didn't do a good job on this. You owe us something on this. Please take care of this situation. Now, Festus had the, uh, the, the ability to extradite Paul from from Caesarea down to Jerusalem and have this, have this uh, trial down there. They had that ability to do that, and they knew that Festus had this power. And what's amazing here is we find in verse number, uh, verse number uh, three that they wanted to lie in wait. They wanted to, again, use the same tactic they tried before, to lie in wait to, to ambush Paul and to kill Paul en route. That was their whole plan. They didn't want a trial. They wanted Paul dead. They didn't want justice. They wanted Paul dead. And again, I underscore the reality that those that hate the gospel and hate followers of Christ will even circumvent the legal system in order to get their way. Satan does not play fair. And we need to be aware that nothing is new under the sun. That Satan will target followers of, of Jesus Christ, the world will, 
and they'll use whatever they can to, um, to bring them down. So, to, uh, so after two years, they're still seething with hate. There's a third high priest in office, and yet this hatred has been passed down. You talk about epic hatred towards the gospel and towards this messenger of the gospel. But Paul then remained faithful. They're still bloodthirsty. They're still seeking his life. We should not be surprised at the hatred the world has towards Jesus Christ and the gospel, and specifically the hatred of the religious here, because these were religious individuals. Just because someone claims to be a part of a religion, much persecution has uh, happened in the name of religion. Remember, this morning, we're not here gathering around a religion. We are here because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or you're hungry for one. Listen, if you only have religion, that's not going to keep you from hell. A relationship with Jesus Christ absolutely will. And we want you to have that relationship. And so what is, what is being fought against Paul is, is the religious leaders, they want him dead. Why? Because those with a relationship with Jesus Christ aren't controlled by religion. They aren't controlled by, by, um, by other forces. They, they aren't even controlled. They have a higher power they're living for, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has to say. That's why governments that go against God have a big problem with followers of Jesus Christ because their highest authority is Jesus Christ, right? We are to honor, we are to be good citizens, but even as we learned in Acts chapter number four, it is better to obey God rather than men. Government can tell you all day long, stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, don't pray in his name. Friends, we have a higher authority we must obey. We are here for one and one reason alone, to witness of the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he offers man, the free gift of eternal life. And so uh, they hated him. John 15 and verse 18, if the world hate me, Jesus said, you know that it uh, hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. You know we have a real problem today? Christians trying to have the world love them. Now it is right for us to be kind, to be graceful, to love the world in the sense of loving their soul and being gracious to them, not being mean and unkind and mean-spirited. But the idea that, that Christians would chase off to all, after always being, uh, having the world's love back towards them, always being accepted by the world. Friends, you can't have it both ways. You cannot follow Jesus Christ and have the world love you they should be able to say, that is a nice person, that is an honest person. That man, he has a good work ethic. That woman, wow, she's faithful to her husband. He's faithful to his wife. We don't see that all the time. They should be able to look at our lives and see something different in our lives. But the idea that the world would love you and the idea that we would, we would try to get the world's approval of our lives, friends, if you're chasing after that, you won't be chasing after Christ. You're going to have to make a choice. I have decided to follow Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, if you're of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Jesus says, you ought to really know this. If you're going to follow me, the world's not going to like you very much. So such is the case in Paul's life. I love the providential hand of Jesus on God here in verses 4 and 5. Festus answers, Paul's going to be kept at Caesarea. Here's the plan. Here's the plan, folks. Paul's going to be at Caesarea. If any of you want to go up there to Caesarea, I'm going to sit down in the judgment seat up there, and we're going to have a trial up there, but not down here. 
Now, I don't know, did, did Festus know that there was this ambush coming? Had he heard, had he heard this written down somewhere, that, you know, that this young nephew had said this? I, I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but the reality is, we see the providential hand of God moving, shaping circumstances to protect his servant, to get his servant from, from Caesarea to Rome someday to witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, until God is done with you, until God is done with you, no one can touch your life. No one. Not even the largest governments in the world. Remember, we're dealing with a world power that day, and that being the power of Rome. So, those that wanted to could go to Caesarea with Festus to press charges against him there. Festus is going to hear if there be any wickedness, but uh, he is staying up there in Caesarea, and that is the, the word of the hour. I hear many times, and perhaps you've asked this question, where's God in all this chaos? Where's God in all this injustice? You know, we heard last week about persecution happening around the world. Where is, where is God in the midst of all this? I want to remind you this morning and assure your hearts that God is still sitting on the throne. He has not left his throne. Man is still wicked, right? Man still hates God and his way and his righteousness, and they will rebel against that. Even all the way through the tribulation, praise the Lord, we won't be here, even through the tribulation as God brings judgment upon the world, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, they'll shake their fist at God and they'll, in hatred and defiance against them, it's amazing. The world hates God. They hate his way. And I want us to understand that God is still sitting on the, on the throne as our sovereign God, the one who is in control of all things, yet man has a free will. Man has the, 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 the free will to disobey and, and not follow after God. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph. Joseph, a young teenager, a little braggadocious. <laughs> I had a dream last night, brothers. And uh, here's how it's going to go. Someday you're all going to bow down to me. Might not have been the right thing for Joseph to do in that moment. It was a true dream from God. God was going to uh, allow this to happen. But, but anyway, coming down, it wasn't, it wasn't a great breakfast morning around the house of Jacob. There was a lot of uh, fighting going on uh, down there. But... So the brothers really hate him, partially because Jacob showed a lot of favoritism towards Joseph. By the way, uh, favoritism really isn't going to help your home. God's given you all your children, and so love them all equally. Do your best not to play favorites. Okay? But in this case, there was favorites. He had a coat of many colors. He was his, you know, his favorite, and Jacob gave this coat of many colors to Joseph, kind of the favorite, the favorite child. And so one day, uh, um, Jacob sends Joseph out to, to check on his brothers who were keeping, uh, keeping their flocks and go out there, and they see him coming, and they throw him in a pit. They see a band of Midianites coming. They sell him. This band of Midianites were merchants. They were going down to Egypt. They sell him to this, um, this band of Midianites, and they, they go on their way. They sell him to Potiphar down in Egypt. He becomes, he becomes a servant in the house of one of Pharaoh's uh, chief uh, soldiers and uh, his captains, and uh, he becomes high in authority in Potiphar's house. He's over all the rest of the servants. When uh, Potiphar's away, his wife uh, his wife plans, he want, she wants to be immoral with him and entices him, and he says no. He runs out of the house several times. The last time he left his coat behind, right? By the way, the Bible says flee youthful lusts. 
says flee fornication. Every sin that's committed is committed externally, but fornication is committed against your own soul. The Bible says flee sexual sin. So he did that. Before he even had the New Testament, he did that. And so he flees, and, and, and the story goes that Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. He, she, he tried to come after me. Well, he goes to jail. Soon enough, he becomes the, the, uh, a partner with the, the prison uh, warden, the, the, the guard at the prison. He becomes the one that's going around and, and overseeing other prisoners. And on one day, he hears a dream, two of Pharaoh's servants talking about dreams they had the night before. You know, Joseph had had dreams before, and so he tunes in and talks about this, and they're like, well, we just don't understand. And he says, well, I, God will give an answer. And so he, he prays on it, and he gives them an answer. One was going to get reinstated into service. The other is going to get his head chopped off. Really nice, these two, um, these two servants of Pharaoh's. And so he tells, uh, he tells the one, hey, when you go up to Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's house, when you get reinstated, please tell him about my situation. Advocate for me. Advocate for me. Well, he forgets until Pharaoh has a dream. And he goes, oh yeah, there's this, this, there's this Hebrew guy down there in, the, in your prison and he told me my dream. And I'm sure he can tell you, he has a great spirit, I'm sure he can tell you uh, your dream. And what happens? Joseph is brought up into the house of Pharaoh, tells him his dream and, and Pharaoh goes, I haven't seen anyone that has your spirit. In fact, is there anyone that shouldn't be second in command to me to help us get through this time of, of famine that's coming that you've just told uh, you know, from my dreams? Is there anyone that shouldn't be second in command with me? And he's placed in second in charge in Egypt, the world power of that day. Think about that. From a, a boy, a braggadocious boy on, uh, in, in Jacob's house to a to being a servant in a house, to being a prisoner for many, many years, to sitting in the second seat in in egypt now is god on the throne the providential hand of god what's god doing in paul's life you're going to stay at caesarea you're not going back down to to jerusalem where they're planning to kill you you're going to stay in caesarea why because paul i promised you you're going to rome and you're going to witness of me uh, of me up there wow the providential hand of god so let's move on. So this whole band of people, verses 6 through 7, they go up to Caesarea, and they accuse Paul there. He's accused in a Roman court. You saw that word judgment seat. Judgment seat. Simply a judgment seat was a, a raised platform where a Roman official or an official would hear a legal case and address the population. So he, he is there at the judgment seat. And again, help me out with the pictures there at uh, at, at Herod's place. And so this, these are these columns right there in the sea. It was built out, this Herod's palace. After Herod died, Herod the Great died, then it became kind of a, a, a place of Roman power there. So, a, you know, a, a court was there. Really beautiful place. Show me the next picture, if you will. Kind of a, a central pool inside of there. And man, they had some beautiful things back then. Their, their building, their architecture and all that. But this is where Paul would have been. And, and uh, Festus was going to sit at the judgment seat and he's going to hear this case. They all gather around and they, they accuse him in that Roman court. 
This is the second time Paul's been in front of a judgment seat. In Acts chapter 18, verse 12, he, he was um, before Galileo in, in Corinth. And so this is the second time. This wasn't a new thing for Paul. It was the second time. The Bible tells us, Mark 13, verse 9, Jesus saying, But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. What's Jesus saying? Listen, it is part of my plan in advancing the gospel in the world that there's going to be times where you as my followers are going to be brought up before judgment seats. And you're going to be held in courts of law. There's going to be things said against you. Just remember, the gospel must be published among all people groups. That's God's plan. Now, the world has its plans and its, its ways of trying to, to hinder and stop that. Nothing will stop the plan of God. The gospel will go forward. The word of God will stand. It will stand in America. It will stand in our city of Kettering. It will stand in the city of Beaver Creek. It will continue to stand. God will keep his promise. And we must believe that. So Paul is standing in a Roman court being accused with criminal charges. Verse number 7. They laid many grievous complaints, many and grievous complaints. The word complaints is just the idea of criminal charges. These charges were many and grievous. They were weighty, is the idea of grievous. They were were hard. It was hard to hear that. I mean, wow, how could someone be so, so bad? Well, that's the idea. They wanted to to load it on. They were numerous. It seems that one of um, the devil's tactics against the followers of Christ is to throw as much junk against the wall as possible. See if something sticks. And so here we are. These complaints are being lodged against him. Did you notice that last, that last phrase in verse number 7? Which they could not prove. Which they could not prove. It didn't stop them but, um, uh, uh, from throwing a ton of them against Paul, but they could not prove them. They could not prove them. You know, like Paul, we must be resolved even when falsely accused by the enemies of God and of Christ in secular courtrooms. We must stand resolved. We must not buckle. The Bible tells us that more than standing in front of an earthly judgment seat or in an earthly courtroom, in front of us, every believer here today, we have an appointment in front of the judgment seat of Christ. You know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now why is that important? Here Paul is, resolved in an earthly Roman courtroom. But do you know what kept Paul motivated and resolved in that moment? It was the fact that one day he was going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. And he's going to give answer there. Being slandered in this courtroom made no difference to him. Why? Because as long as he had the smile of Christ and the approval of Christ and he was okay in the courtroom of Jesus Christ, at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, friends, let me just encourage you, if we live for that day, if we live for the judgment seat of Christ, that's a judgment for just believers, not whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's a judgment of reward. The rewards you and I as believers, as followers of Christ, will gain because we have faithfully followed Jesus Christ and we faithfully have done his his word. If we live for that day, friends, no earthly courtroom can threaten us. 
No earthly courtroom can get us down. We can stay motivated through that. You say, this is really a weird message. Like, you know, you're talking about courtrooms. Like, you think that that's actually going to happen. It's going to happen. You mark my words. It is going to happen. And friends, as fast as we have seen our country slipping away from God, it will not be long. And I don't say that gleefully. Even as I prepare these messages, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, this is a very, very different thing than what I signed up for when I was 17. Like, I didn't see this coming. I heard older preachers talking about it. But the reality is, you and I, if we will stay faithful to the Lord, we will likely have a day in 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 a secular court. Make sure it's for preaching the gospel, not something else. May God help us all with that. And so Paul is is standing there, but just like our eyes ought to be, his eyes were on the fact that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Why do I know that? Paul used that illustration when he was writing to um, to the Corinthian believers beforehand. He's saying, y'all, y'all, do you realize? We're going to stand before Jesus Christ. We got to do what's right. We need to remain faithful no matter what this world around us says. We need to remain faithful to him. And so there at the judgment seat, Festus's final uh, word would be final. It, it, whatever uh, Festus said about Paul, it would be a final word. Do you realize that whatever Jesus says about our lives will be the final word? Not what our friends think, not what the world thinks about us, but the final word will be Jesus Christ as he uses his word to evaluate our lives. Oh, friends, let's live for the judgment seat of Christ. Let's, let's keep that firmly in view this week. Let that dominate our thinking. Let that guide our decisions this week. We're going to stand before our Savior, and he's going, to, he's going to evaluate our lives. Let's follow after him and remain motivated and resolved. So in verses 8 through 12, we see Paul answers the accusations. One of the great promises of Scripture is what Jesus told his disciples in Mark 13 and verse 11, when they shall lead you and deliver you up into these courtrooms, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak. Neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it shall not be ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Do you know how encouraging it is to realize God is saying that when we stand before human courtrooms, before human judges, for his sake, he says, you don't need to stay up the night before trying to write down everything that you're going to say in response. I'm going to be with you, and in that moment, I, the Holy Spirit, am going to give you exactly what needs to be said. I'm going to guide your thoughts. You know, the Holy Spirit's the best lawyer ever. He'll give us exactly the words. We can rest in that. What am I going to do when I'm in that situation? God will guide you through it. The most important thing in that moment is just to be a surrendered servant of the Lord Jesus Christ with his love towards the lost, the same heart that he had. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so Paul is in this moment, and here it is. God gives him guidance in what to say. He gives a clear defense in verse number 8. He answered for himself. He gave argument back. He defended back for himself. He says, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar. So they're going to certainly try to play, play those issues. 
you've offended the Jews and you're, you're also upsetting the peace which is against Caesar. Paul says, no, I haven't done anything wrong against the Jews, against the temple, or against Caesar. I am clear in all these things. So the, the chief priests had likely brought the same accusations against Paul that had been brought up in front of Felix. We find those in Acts 24 and verses 5 and 6. We find four main accusations. Number one, for we have found this man to be a pestilent fellow. He is an annoyance. I mean, he is just, he is like a pestilence on the earth. And that was one of their accusations. He's just, he's just always there, always preaching Christ, and he's just a pestilent fellow. So that was one of their things against him. He's an instigator uh, of sedition. He's trying to rabble-rouse. He's creating insurrections of all the Jews in all the world. Like this one man, without a, without a smartphone, without Twitter, without email, is, he, is, he is doing this all across the world. It's amazing how hyperbole uh, comes out, exaggeration comes out for all the Jews throughout the world. He's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Now, this one was true. He was a leader of those that followed Jesus Christ. And Paul did not answer against that one in Acts chapter 24. And then lastly, uh, he was one that defiled the temple. And this they falsely uh, charged him with because they thought, thought they brought Trophimus into the temple, and it was not actually, um, actually the case. He was a, he was a, uh, a Jew. He was, not, he was not one that was um, a Gentile and was not defiling the temple. So he, he answers for himself. Um, Paul says, I'm, I'm not guilty, is his answer. I'm not guilty of what you're saying. I'm not guilty of the law of the Jews, the temple, or against Caesar. I'm, I'm not guilty. Paul had already answered for himself, Acts chapter 24 and verses 10 through 19 in front of Felix. But one of the things that he said there was this. And herein do I exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards man. They didn't like that very much. He's saying, I'm not guilty. And furthermore, I always want to be right with God and I want to be right with man. And he had tried to live in that way. And I want to just encourage us this morning how important it is that we only suffer for following Jesus Christ, not suffer for wrongdoing. That we do live with consciences void of offense towards God and man. That we don't have, that we don't have something that we've stolen that we, that, um, that we haven't made right. That we, that we aren't lying. That we aren't bearing false witness. That we are being good employees. That we are, we are living righteously and godly in this present age. And if we suffer for wrongdoing, we suffer in a deserving way. But if we suffer because we're following Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we can be happy, we should be joyful. 1 Peter 4 and 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other man's business. God actually tells us, don't be nosy. Did you notice that? Don't be a busybody. And if you suffer for that, then, then you're going to have some just reward. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, as a little Christ, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And he's simply saying, listen, if you suffer as a Christian, you should have joy in your heart. You're suffering just like Jesus Christ. So Paul is legitimately, again, just able to say, I haven't wronged the law. I haven't violated the law. The reason I'm here today is because I'm a preacher of the gospel. So what's his appeal? 
verses 9 through 12, we set it together, I appeal unto Caesar. Uh, Festus asks him, do you want to go down to, to Jerusalem and have the trial there? Because he wants to please the Jews. He's trying to play this, play this diplomatic game. Do you, wanna, do you wanna go down there? He knew full well if he went down there, no fair trial was happening in Jerusalem. They hated him. The last time he was down there, it started three riots. <laughs> Not going down there. He says, if I've done something wrong and is worthy of death, let me be put to death. But the reality is, I've not. And so as a Roman citizen, Paul had the right, the privilege to appeal to Caesar. Now this appeal to Caesar was very key. It was a, it was a highly prized privilege of being a Roman, uh, Roman citizen. And Paul used the privileges that were available to him to advance the gospel, not for his own comfort, but for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as a Roman citizen, this, was, this right was afforded them to protect them against corrupt or weak local leaders. And so they could appeal. Do you know what? Today in our, in our justice system that was established in our country, many, much of it was, was patterned after some of the rights and the privileges of, of Rome. You know we have the right of appeal today? Do you know where that comes from? The Bible. It comes from things going on back in this day. So he had the right to appeal up, and his appeal was not necessarily to a nicer man. <laughs> in fact, he wasn't. Nero was an incredibly evil man. The, Caesar's a title, like president's a title. And uh, so Nero was going to be the one that he appealed to. And so I just want us to realize this legal option that was available to Paul, he used it for the advance of the, of the gospel, not just to get out of jail, but to advance the, the cause of Jesus Christ, to advance the word of the Lord, which was you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going you're to witness for me. You're going to go to Rome and witness for me there. It's interesting, in Acts 23 and verse 11, Jesus said this, the Lord stood by Paul and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. You're going to go to Rome. You're going to go there. And Paul used this appeal. God guided him, gave him the words to say, use this appeal to get him where he needs to go further on the journey. And we'll continue to study that as we go, on, go together. So it's been two years. And now finally there's movement in the case. He's standing there, and it results in a pretty big shakeup for the Jews. I appeal to Caesar, and all the Roman, all the Roman soldiers are going to be responsible to get him there safely. He gets a ticket to Rome. You know, you talk about, you talk about sometimes, how is the work of God going to happen? You know, how is God going to come? He's promised me that I'm going to Rome. Who's going to pay for the boat ticket? The Roman government. Isn't it amazing how God works? And so the, the story continues to advance forward. And in the middle of the story is a resolved messenger. I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord no matter what it costs me. No matter how long I have to wait in a prison cell, I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord. And that's my encouragement to you. Remain resolved as a messenger of the gospel. That is why you're here. You're not here to make a, a big fortune. You're not here to climb the corporate ladder. You're not here for some temporal for some temporal gain. You are here as a messenger of the gospel. Stay resolved. Stay resolved. I want us to turn to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 15. As Paul was heading to Jerusalem, he told the Ephesian elders and others that gathered with him on the, on the way, 
that told him, don't go to Jerusalem. You're just going to get killed up there. Don't go. He says, what, what mean ye to, to weep and break my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be persuaded, we see saying, the will of the Lord be done. So Paul's motion was forward with resolve. And I want us to see this in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 15. Romans 1 and verse number 15. So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Let's read verse number 16 together. Ready, begin. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. It is the power of God unto salvation. And over and over through Paul's life, we see this testimony, a resolved messenger of the gospel. Even in the courtroom, even at the judgment seat, and what helped him stay resolved was, one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and all I want is his approval there. I want a well done, thou good and faithful servant there. And that's what you want too. That's what we all want. And where the rubber meets the road this week, you and I will have choices whether we stay resolved as a messenger or whether we pull back. Whether we skirt shame, whether we skirt reproach, or whether we go forward. And in every situation, my encouragement is by the power of the Holy Spirit, stay resolved as a messenger of the gospel. That is your one mission this week. No, Pastor, you haven't seen my to-do list. I have a lot of things. Listen, those are all the things we must do in life, just to do life. But your one and highest priority is you're here as an ambassador. Stay resolved as a messenger of the gospel. Stay resolved. Paul's a great example of that, isn't he? Amen. Let's ask the Lord to help us with that. Before we leave today, let's talk to the Lord about that. How many of you would say, Pastor, that, that does indeed touch my heart. There have been moments where I've, I've pulled back, but by God's grace, I certainly want to be a resolved messenger like the Apostle Paul. You'd say, that's how God touched my heart, even this morning. I want to be resolved this week in bearing the gospel message to my friends, family, co-workers, and anyone that God puts in front of me. I want to stay resolved. You say with an upraised hand, that is, that God has touched my heart. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. Amen. Amen. I'm going to encourage us in a moment. We'll stand, and I'm going to encourage uh, believers across the auditorium to find a place to pray, kneel and pray, and just commit that to the Lord. Remember, it's not about your strength. It wasn't about Paul's strength. It is about his strength in those moments, and he will give it to you as you trust in him. I'm going to encourage you to pray. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, I don't know for certain that I've received the gospel. I, I don't know for certain that if I were to die, I would spend eternity in heaven. Paul's willing to give his life for this, for this gospel that you're talking about. He's willing to give his life for Jesus Christ. I don't know that I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I don't know if I die that I'd spend eternity with, with God in heaven. I don't have that, that assurance. I'm not going to point you out but I'd certainly like to know if God is working in your heart about that. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. No one's looking around. It's just, just me, and I'm not going to point you out again. But is there someone in here this morning that say just between you, God, and me, I don't know for certain that if I die today that I'd spend eternity in heaven. I don't know that, Pastor, and I am concerned about that. Would you just slip your hand up and put it back down? I'm concerned about that. I don't know for certain but I'd like to. Anyone like that? 
I assume I'm speaking to mostly Christians, but if you're not saved here today, the invitation is always open. You may not feel comfortable raising your hand today, but I want to invite you to come and talk. We want to answer that question for you. You can know Jesus Christ personally today, and we want to invite you to that. He wants to save your soul. He wants to give you the hope of eternal life. He wants to give you that joy that only comes when Jesus is in your heart. Believers, let's stand to our feet. Everyone across the auditorium, let's stand. Right now, as the piano continues to um, play, let's find a place to talk to the Lord about this matter of being resolved. I encourage you to come and find a place to kneel and pray. All across the auditorium, I encourage you to come. You raised your hand. I want to be resolved like the Apostle Paul. Well, let's pray about that before we leave. May the Lord find us faithful. Maybe you'd pray with your spouse. Lord, help our family to remain faithful. Parents, it'd be good to pray for your children. Lord, I pray that my children would be resolved, that they would be resolved messengers. Resolved messengers are going to pray for opportunities. They're going to look for opportunities to share the gospel. So I as well encourage you to pray every day. Lord, lead me across the path of someone that is open and ready, interested to receive you. Father, we thank you for this testimony of the Apostle Paul. You've given him to us as an example. We pray that you would help us to remain faithful to you, no matter what comes our way. And for your glory's sake, thank you for the hope of eternal life. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for life today. We certainly do love you, and we are grateful to be together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.